0: Welcome to Voices in Bioethics podcast. I'm Camille Castellane and it is my great pleasure to welcome Wandile Gagne. Wandile is a part-time lecturer at Stellenbosch University Center for Medical Ethics and Law in South Africa. He presently holds an internal medicine registrar in the Department of Medicine at the University of Cape Town and he's also a fledging painter and a published poet. His latest anthology is titled A Dark Wood, Poetical Sketches on Life and Being in the World. He dedicated this to his twin brother, Wanele. Wandele, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Camille.
0: Yeah. Um, what a diversity of talents, and we certainly have a global bioethics perspective here with us today. So you wrote an article on child's ability for decision making and to give consent and you asked whether a 12 year old had sufficient maturity to consent to medical treatment. You spoke about whether this capacity should be based on the principle of autonomy or sufficient maturity or rather on a communitarian viewpoint by which the whole family can and should be part of the decision making process. Do you think this is distinctly different from a Western prioritization of autonomy? And what do you think we can learn from that perspective?
1: Thank you for the question. That article was written a while back (laughs) to catch up the viewers or the audience. Let me first say, so in the South African context, in the legal context, is that a 12-year-old can legally consent to medical treatment without being accompanied or requiring the consent of his or her parent or guardian. Now that's medical treatment. It's a bit different for surgical treatment. And hence the motivation for the article itself was because the child is thought to have individual autonomy and hence the argument then was what is the place for the family in the community in an afro communitarian context what is the role of the uh, the family in decision making and the reason for bringing that question up is to really challenge the theoretic ethical status quo to say yes the individual does matter but there are ways in which to secure the needs and, or what I usually would term, the basic moral priorities of the child, or of a person, whether it's a child or adult, without having to solicit the idea of individual autonomy. And that natural way of securing the need, basic moral priorities of the person is how we naturally live with one another. That is in within our sociality and our community. We one is owed moral duties by another within that moral community.
0: So basically you are referring to your most research focus as well, which is Ubuntu, right? Yes. And maybe you can just give us a quick summary as well for our listeners. What do you understand under the concept of Ubuntu? Ubuntu.
1: Yes, so the afro idea, in essence, refers to Ubuntu. Ubuntu is one of the African philosophical notions that, firstly, the word itself refers to humanism, and it's derived from the Tosa or Zulu tribal languages in Southern Africa. And the very notion of Ubuntu-ken is easily captured by the phrase, I am because we are. Because we are, therefore I am. Or alternatively, in the closer adage that says, a person is a person through other persons. And immediately what one understands from those two phrases is what I've just alluded to, is that my personhood is the individual is because of the community itself. And that is to become a person, I ought to or need to be cognized in the context of the community of others and not as an individual entity.
0: So, would one say that children then are not considered as a full person, if we had to put it like that, not yet in the sense of the word, in decision making capacity then?
1: So in traditional African philosophy, I'd say, yes, the child would not be considered a full person. But although their basic moral priorities are recognized within that context, but they aren't recognized as a full person, per se, yes.
0: So if we say that a child is not a fully fledged person, I think what you're also trying to say is that a child should also be heard but that they should also be protected in a sense. Maybe you can just expand on that.
1: Yes. So the idea that a child is not a full person is actually derives from a traditional African philosophical view that personhood is rather a processual idea that comes in gradations. And one philosopher, African philosopher, that espouses that view actually is Minkiti, Nigerian philosopher. But what I meant here is that an Afro-communitarian ideology, a child has the most important thing is not of necessity the individual rights, but the duties owed to the person or the individual by the community, and hence the individual is protected due by the community due to the rights or obligations owed to them and not, as I said, of necessity, by the rights owed to them.
0: Great. That's interesting. And how does that play out practically? Is it something that is easily applicable in the South African context or not necessarily?
1: So the in the South African context, is quite interesting because we do have, uh, on the one hand, the legal system that espouses, as I said, individual autonomy or rights. And on the other hand, you still have this communitarian ideology where there are instances even in the clinical context where you find these two ideas clashing. And even for the bioethical community, they find this quite difficult to to navigate through, particularly when, say, the child is of legal capacity to consent and they also subscribe to the idea that they are from this sort of community and they cannot consent to medical treatment. So it is a bit of a difficult one to be quite honest to navigate through but hence the need to have a broader discourse on this cross-cultural horizon.
0: Yeah so I think for a lot of our listeners that sounds very radical but I think in the South African and African context Often we see in our clinical ethics consult how important the family is and how often decisions cannot be made without considering the context and the people surrounding that person, which I actually think is very valuable, something that one could actually add to the Western perspective. Would you agree?
1: Yes, indeed. I do agree. That's why the article was written. It's one among many. To be quite honest, I'm not the only proponent of that view. There's a wealth of literature around that challenging that norm of the importance of individual autonomy versus the import of the family or the community in general.
0: Okay, no, fantastic. I think it is important to also make the, the diversity of voices heard. Yeah, I think that's very valuable as well. Your most recent. Research focuses on, specifically then, on Ubuntu and how it can be applied to emerging technologies, such as precision medicine, embryo-like structures, and AI. And then you submitted an article about the moral status of the embryo and how this Mm. distinctly African notion of Ubuntu can be applied to this age-old conundrum. Can you tell us a bit more about that, please?
1: Okay, so the article itself is really focuses on the idea of moral status. How do we conceive of moral status within the African philosophical context? So what I posit in the piece is that there are two ways to conceive of moral status, and one is either a property-grounded account, um, that is, one has moral status when have, say, rationality or conscious awareness, that's one predominant way of conceiving of moral status. And then within, then I ask the question, how else can we conceive in moral status, and particularly within the context of Ubuntu? And the reason why that I find that an important question is, as you alluded to, the fact that My concern is with emergent technologies such as AI or humanoid or artificial moral agents and how do we we treat embryo-like structures, for example, is a property-based account doesn't fully recognize or cognize such entities. And particularly, the point is even driven uh, when you consider, say, extraterrestrial beings or even animals and uh, the ecosystem property-based account of moral status doesn't fully acknowledge or account for such species or entities. Now, however, an account based on what I call a de facto moral friend, which is derived from the idea of Ubuntu, that is, one is immediately given, or I owe, or we owe an entity, say P, moral duties, not because of any intrinsic property but because we have duties toward p as a de or moral friend that's essentially that and i do go into a bit of detail why i think that is the case within an afro communitarian approach in the article itself but in essence that's what i detail
0: okay no very interesting i think that definitely is an, an interesting notion and do you think that it can be applied in not only this moral status, but also in a wider context? And what do you hope to like contribute to the field? Also, if we think of a cross-cultural discourse between uh, the global north and the global south and how yeah we can learn from each other, definitely, from the Western perspective as well as a different perspective.
1: I'm glad you raised that question. So, firstly, this view that I posit, as I said, it is when one reads the literature on moral status, there's a dearth of this perspective, and which I find quite surprising given that it's such a pervasive idea within Ubuntu oriented thinking or thinkers, and quite a natural way of thinking, even in, in traditional African societies, if I allude to a bit of social anthropology um, or African social anthropology to it speaks to that very fact that it seems like um, the global north and the global south have uh, been going about academic, uh, philosophical or ethical discourse in two different ways and there is a need for that cross-cultural discourse to happen and by far I'd say the global South has, by large, subsumed much of the, what the global North has to say about bioethics, but there's been almost scant regard for what the global South can contribute to the global bioethical discourse. And hence, I think in part that has to do with our colonial history, but I think there is a need for that cross-cultural discourse in here, how we can conceive ethics or bioethics differently and As we encounter emergent technologies or emergent problems within our grand scheme of bioethics, where we find that our old ways of thinking haven't really been quite useful or have rather failed.
0: Yeah, yes, definitely. And we see how quick technology is also developing, and the ethical and legal impact just can't keep up with that. So it is like you said, we Mm. we need to have those discussions and use new different creative ways to think about these issues. So that's really great that you add that as well. I was wondering about one of your interests as well, concerning like AI and Ubuntu. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about that, if there's something you would like to add regarding that.
1: My interest mainly with AI is the question of what sort of ethics ought we to use or employ. Say, for example, when most of the debate has been, at least in my mind, has been happening around self-driving cars, for example. But not only that, but within AI in healthcare, and one easiest and most I find quite useful ethics to espouse is an African virtue ethics, which would be derived from the idea of Ubuntu, espousing virtues such as friendliness, benevolence, and uh, all broadly and other regarding virtues and duties toward others. And then that's where, when looking at the literature on AI, that's where one can add more value using the idea of Ubuntu. And that is espousing the African virtue ethics and seeing how thinking along those lines can aid some of the intractable problems that present literature finds itself, at least from an ethics point of view.
0: Okay, Yona, that's great. So I wonder, like, I don't know if you've read Yuval Harari's book, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And there he says that everyone wants to drive an altruistic car that's programmed Mm -hmm. to be altruistic to protect the driver. But everyone wants everyone else to drive a utilitarian car, which protects the people outside the car. Um, <laughs> so I wonder how would a self-driving car that has a Ubuntu philosophy um, be programmed? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, you, you've, you've, you, you've <laughs> posited it in quite an interesting interesting yeah. manner. It's a, certainly a good point for, for discussion. Maybe I'll have to flesh it out in a form
0: of an so. <laughs> yeah. That sounds good, yeah. And then I wanted to ask, you're also, as I understand, a medical doctor, and maybe there's mm. an interesting clinical ethics case or consult that comes to mind that you would like to share, because I know our listeners always, the story is always interesting, but if not, that's not a problem.
1: Well, classic or quite a common encounter we find is I think I was back in internship when I was working in surgery when I was in rural KwaZulu Natal in South Africa, where this patient Mm -hmm. uh, presented with essentially, as she needed, it was a septic leg and she needed amputation. And at this point, she said she cannot and would not even uh, consider consenting before she has consulted with a family. And she certainly did not want to give consent for the surgery. And not because she didn't think of herself capable, but she had absolutely good decisional capacity. But because, as she put it as well, this is not just a respect toward others, but others have a stake when it comes to her health. And that's essentially how they make decision as a community and not just as an individual. And it is quite always we find these sort of circumstances or situations, and to one who's not accustomed to this way of thinking might immediately say, but this lady has absolutely good decisional capacity and individual autonomy, and her insisting that she needs to discuss the issue with her family or community does not make any sense. And it always, for me, drives Mm -hmm. the, the point that, When we enforce this idea of individual autonomy in in, in a community, in a context where the individual autonomy does not weigh greater than, say, the the community, it is really an ethical injustice to enforce or to impose an ethical system that is not germane to that society or that community. And hence, the need for us to broaden our understanding of ethics, not just from an individual point of view, but also from a community point of view. And that is the essence of why I'm advocating the idea of Ubuntu as well.
0: Okay, interesting. Thank you. And then lastly, can you tell us a bit more about why you became a medical doctor? As you say, the community is important to you and to what degree that decision had to do with your upbringing and family? You grew up in a rural part of South Africa, Kailiche, if I'm mm. not mistaken. Please correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong.
1: That's correct. So the decision is actually quite, was uh, I never wanted to become a medical doctor. Um, I That's oh, not, really? even, I did not <laughs> okay. in my wildest dreams. Oh. I always thought mm-hmm. quite interesting enough that I'd be a physicist. Yeah, so the real change came when there was quite a lot of illness and sickness in the family, including my own brother as well. And I think that was the turning point for me. Then I decided to commit my life and ambitions toward helping others, whether it is through healing people or, as I would put it, healing the community that raised me, or by writing or research, which is what I'm presently doing. So yeah, that's what made me change actually. And I've enjoyed it since.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And yeah, it's interesting how our life journey takes us onto different paths. And I hope your brother is also mm-hmm. doing better now.
1: Oh yes. Yes, yes. No, but- that was a, a while back. He's also a medical doctor. <laughs>
0: Oh, fantastic, wow, okay. So I'm also interested to know whether you would say that this notion of Ubuntu is at all relevant to the COVID-19 pandemic that we are currently living in and where we often hear the debate that the individual's rights is opposed to that of the community, especially if we think of vaccines Mm -hmm. and whether that should be mandatory or not. How do you think an African philosophy Ubuntu, of Ubuntu could maybe help us in this regard?
1: Wonderful. No, thank you for raising that subject as well. I think this brings my earlier point to greater clarity. Actually, where you find that this constant clash between individual autonomy or individual rights versus the societal good or the good of the community particularly in COVID times where states have imposed severe restrictions to individual freedom, individual rights or autonomy over preferring rather to secure the public good. And it is exactly the same, the sort of setting where an Ubuntu ethic comes into play, where protecting the good of the community or the social good wherein the individual himself or herself then will find by securing the public good, the individual finds protection within that system.
0: Interesting. Yeah, No, so thank you very much for spending time with us today. Yeah, we look forward to seeing what else you accomplish and thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Camille.